open to Genesis chapter number 18 this evening. Genesis chapter 18. Do be in prayer for the preacher, of course. And uh, another request that I do want to mention to you that has been mentioned from here was to pray for Brother Kenneth Clark's uh, sister. And I wanted to let you know, if you didn't know already, that she did pass away this morning uh, sometime earlier today. We got the message this afternoon. So continue to pray for Brother Kenneth and their family as, uh, as they deal with that. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach, and I'm thankful for you being here. Uh, and I uh, don't like to take the opportunity to preach under these circumstances, you know. So, uh, but I do appreciate the opportunity. And uh, hopefully we can uh, get a message of instruction here tonight that, that I believe can help us. So Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse number 16, Genesis 18, 16. And if you have found that, let's stand, if you're able to do so, for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter number 18, beginning at verse number 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. 
And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this evening. And Lord, we do uh, ask for your blessings upon uh, Brother Kenneth Clark and his family, that you'd comfort their hearts. And Lord, we also pray for the preacher as he is at home sick. We pray that you would raise him up and help him to recover speedily and bless his family and protect them and those others that are sick among our congregation we just pray that you would be with them and help them as well and lord we ask for you to meet with us tonight we need to hear from you and lord i pray that we will in jesus name amen thank you may be seated The story of Abraham begins in Genesis chapter, well, actually end of chapter 11 and starting at chapter 12. And it begins a journey of faith for Abraham. Uh, he lands up in Hebrews chapter 11, doesn't he? Uh, one of the ones mentioned quite a bit in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of faith. And he's been on his journey for a while from our, at the point of our text, some ups and some downs. One of the ups that he had was at the very beginning when he was called by God to, to leave Ur the Chaldees and to make his way into what we know as Canaan. And he succeeded in doing that. Although he had a little delay in there, he did make it into Canaan and God then rewarded him and appeared to him personally and gave him the promise of the seed and of the inheritance that he be the father of the great nation. And confirmed that promise to him that that was a sure thing. But he also had his downs. Once he was in Canaan, God sent a famine. And the response that Abraham made to that famine was disastrous. He left, he fled, he went to Egypt. And uh, of course, uh, all the fallout from disobeying what God would want done from that. So I'm surprised in studying the life of Abraham that... There's so many failures, and that comforts me because I have so many. And to know that I can recover from those failures and God can still fulfill his purpose and plan in our life is very encouraging. But through all these experiences, and these are just a couple that God used in Abraham's life, his purpose for doing so is to grow his faith and prepare him for what lies ahead. Some of these God-ordained experiences were very difficult to face and to deal with, like burying his father in Haran. His father Haran, had, uh, Terah, had left with him from Ur, and they had made it about halfway to Canaan and dwelled there. And we do not know exactly why, but there was some delay there. And eventually, his father Terah died. Uh, and from that point... Immediately after his father dying, uh, Abraham gathers up everyone and moves on to Canaan. I can't imagine what it was like for him to leave Haran, where he buried his father, and to go on to where God wanted him to go. Another difficult experience that he had was in separating from Lot, which we'll talk about in a minute. But God did not send these experiences to Abraham and in his life 
to punish him or to destroy him, but rather to build him up, to prepare him for the purposes that he had that lay ahead that Abraham did not even fully realize. And just like Abraham, God has his ordained experiences in our lives as well. And some of them can be very difficult. They affect us in a good way or potentially in a bad way, depending on how we react to them. Some of them we will do well with and pass with flying colors, while others, just like Abraham, will fail at miserably at times. But there is always a God willing to forgive, help, and extend grace. Like Abraham has done sometimes, and how many people do with these experiences, uh, they don't do so well. Uh, just like Abraham didn't do well with some of them. And they take these experiences and actually what God intended for good, they turn them into destructive ones. They struggle in how to deal with it. Never really seem to get over it. And in some cases, they leave church and eventually have nothing to do with God. So what God had intended to use to build them up, they took, didn't deal with the right way, and it tore them down. What God intended to strengthen their faith actually weakened it. And what should have warned them about the evils that lay ahead encouraged them to get involved in those evils. Tonight I want us to look into the life of Abraham and visit one of these difficult experiences that God had brought into his life and learn how we can navigate through it. Though you might not could tell from the text, the subject, the difficult experience, is that of dealing with unanswered prayer. Dealing with unanswered prayer. Now, there would be some who say, well, and I've heard it, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. When people say, God did not answer my prayer, it's not true. It is answered. And what they're saying really is that they didn't get the answer that they wanted. And I understand that. And I think that's probably true in some cases. And those prayers, rather than try to figure out how we prayed wrong or what was going on, we can lump them under the category of unanswered prayer. And I'm sure there are some that we all have done that way. But that's not the type of unanswered prayer that I'm talking about. The prayer I'm talking about is when we believe that we have sincerely and unselfishly prayed in faith for something that God wants and we don't get what we ask for. That can really shake your faith in God and in prayer. When we believe we have sincerely, unselfishly prayed in faith for something that God wants and we don't get what we ask for. 
I know it can shake your faith, not only from the examples in Scripture, but from personal experience. And if you've been on your journey of faith very long, you probably have been at that point. And if you haven't, you probably will. Satan has used these unanswered prayers as a means to convince us that our prayers do not matter and has caused many to limit their prayers or abandon them altogether. And hopefully, through our look at this text tonight, that notion that our prayers do not matter will be refuted. There are three aspects in our text, this narrative of Abraham's intercession for the city of Sodom that I want us to consider tonight. First of all, it is the aspect of the inclusion of Abraham. The inclusion of Abraham. We look at chapter 18 and verse 17, and we notice it's almost as if God is debating within his own mind. It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Uh, I find that just interesting that God's saying, Should I tell Abraham? Well, of course, he knows what he's going to do, but he's just conveying that in narrative form to us. So God is saying, Really, I cannot hide from Abraham what I'm about to do because it's going to greatly affect him. And I thought, wow, <laughs> what a position to be in with God. Where God reveals to you what he is about to do before he ever does it. <laughs> Truly, Abraham at this point had already become what the New Testament calls him, the friend of God. I sure want to be included in what God's doing. What a great blessing it is to have God speak to us and to reveal His truth to us. Mankind does not properly value the blessing of having God's message and God's word on subjects and matters, but we certainly do. Maybe we not take it for granted or neglect it, for if we do, it would be our ruin. God goes a little further down into verse 18, and He begins to explain why He has feels He can... Uh, justify sharing this information with Abraham. In verse 18, uh, it is, says that uh, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Because of God's purpose for Abraham, somehow it was related to God's purpose for him. And one way that is obvious to me as I look at that and I think about it, Abraham is going to be the father of a nation. And what God is about to do is bring judgment upon a nation or city, several cities, because they have rejected his word and rejected him and will have nothing to do with him. Their sin has become grievous in the sight of God and he must bring judgment. Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And if Abraham's going to be the father of a great nation, he needs to know that a great nation can be destroyed because it is not righteous. Psalm 9, 17 as well, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And Psalm 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. 
These are vital truths that Abraham would need to know and see a living example in Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 19, he goes even further and says there's not only that reason for his purpose for me, but also in his private life, there, there, he can be trusted with it. In verse 19, he says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Because of Abraham's private life, God could trust him to use the revelation in a constructive way. You see, our private lives do matter. In our society today, we have people who, say, who try to separate a pri someone's private life from their public life. But there's no way you can do that. You won't find that in Scripture. You must be true in your private life so you can be true in your public life. If we are not committed to God's purpose for our life and have not ordered our private lives to the standard of His Word, we can expect little revelation from God as to what He is doing and why. Now, in verses 20 and 21, we see that God gives the revelation to Abraham. Verse 20, it says, The Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. So God here sees and mentions that the cry of the city of Sodom is great. The sin of the city is very grievous to God. And we'll not get into all the sins of Sodom. That's not the purpose of the message tonight, but they were very grievous, and we have those same sins going on in our country tonight. God is going to inspect it to see if the cries and sins are as he hears. And it is understood by Abraham that God's judgment was imminent. In fact, his question down in verse 23, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked, confirms that very idea. This revelation certainly gave Abraham a different view of Sodom than what the world had. The world would promote its, uh, its growth and its buildings and its stadiums and its attendance. They would boast of their entertainments and their nightlife. They would brag about their diversity and their achievements and overcoming bigotry. They would tell all of the stores and the trade and point out places of tourism that would be interesting to visitors. The world would think that Sodom was doing well. But those who knew God's word knew otherwise. Abraham knew that Sodom was headed for destruction. There's more to this revelation that we must consider as well. Not only these evidences in scripture that I point to, but I just have to believe, and it's not in there, it's just my opinion, this part, okay? That because he was such a good friend with God, God knew how it was going to impact Abraham. Because dwelling in the city of Sodom was Abraham's nephew, Lot. Now Lot was a saved man. The Bible declares him to be so. We would not know otherwise. Because he was a very carnal and worldly man. And his life was ruined in sin. But that's how we see him. Abraham didn't view him that way. Abraham dearly loved Lot. Lot left with Abraham from Ur to go to Canaan. 
Lot had a difficult beginning himself. His father died when he was very young. And his grandfather, Terah, took over the guardianship of him and began to raise him. And halfway in their journey, when they made it to Haran, Terah, Abraham's father, died, Lot's grandfather. And the care of Lot fell to Abraham. It was Abraham who took over the reins in his life and became the guardian of Lot. It was Abraham who raised Lot, who trained him in shepherding and how to grow a flock. Probably gave him his own start of a herd and his own flocks because he was wealthy as well before he moved to Sodom. It was Abraham who at the first notice of strife between them suggested the separation and gave the reason being because they were brethren. So a lot did move to Sodom. And we know the story of how shortly after Gedorle Omer in chapter 14 of Genesis and his armies came down and besieged the city of Sodom because they would not pay their tribute to them and captured all the people and was deporting them back to the, their home country. And when Abraham learned that Lot was in the group of people being deported, he gathered up his trained men, numbering only 318, and, and flew out after them, went and fought them in battle, chased them for some 120 miles, totally annihilating them, not giving them a chance to regroup and mount a counterattack. And he recovered all the goods of Sodom and all the people of Sodom and brought them back. That's not the action of a man who despises his nephew. This revelation did not come to Abraham just for informational purposes. As with anything that God reveals to us through his word, God wants Abraham to take action because of what he is about to do. And that leads us to our second point. And that is the intercession of Abraham in verses 22 through about 26. After hearing this news from God, Abraham realizes that this is a situation where there is nothing man can do. Has God ever brought you to that point? That's where Abraham is. Abraham responds to this revelation from God by interceding on behalf of the people of Sodom. Let's look. It says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near. You know, if you want God to hear and answer your prayer, you'd better start drawing close. And when you do, it will stir you to pray. And we see that happen here with Abraham. We first begin to see the basis on which Abraham prays. It begins by this revelation, this word from God that had been given to him about what was going to happen to Sodom. That's a good basis point to begin praying from 
the Word of God. If we don't have a biblical basis to our prayers, they will not be answered. We must have it. But that is not the only basis he had. Not only spiritual and biblical basis, I may say. We look down in verse number 23 and it says, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? He puts out this plea of God sparing the city of Sodom based upon the character that he knows God has. His righteousness. That God always does what is right. And he knows to destroy the righteous people within the city of Sodom along with the wicked was not in line with the true character of God. Not only that, we see in verse 25 where it says, and he asked the question, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This is a plea for the justice of God because we know that God only does that which is fair. So I would say that Abraham has a very good basis and you know, I would say he has a slam dunk answer yes to his prayer. Any one of these basis points would be justifiably at getting an answer yes from God. But he has all three in a line. Abraham's request comes and it begins. And ask God, peradventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein. That is his request. And he starts off at 50 and will not go through them all again. But he works it from 50. And I don't know why he would continue to ask and lower it unless in some way God indicated that I would do it if there were 50. But they're not. I don't know. For some reason he lowered it. And went to 45. And then he went to 40. And to 30. To 20. And asked for one more request. And then asked for 10. And in verse 32. God says. I will not destroy it. For 10's sake. Oh man. I've asked five one, two, three, four, five, six things, six requests in a row to God. And he said yes to everything I asked for. I'm sure Abraham's excited. I'm sure he's thinking, God's going to do it. He's going to spare them. He is going to spare them. God answered yes to my prayer. But this leads us to the next point. The instruction we receive from Abraham's prayer. And here they are. Here's what we're going to get. Just a couple of things. The first point of instruction is that some of God's answers come in a way that we cannot see. And I want you to see what happens to Abraham and his prayer. We know the whole story. We know God's point of view. But sometimes we need to go back and read Bible stories and events 
from one character's viewpoint and consider it. And when we do that with Abraham, we find, we find something interesting. You see, Sodom was destroyed because there were not ten righteous people there. Truly, God did answer Abraham's prayer. If there had been ten, he would have spared the whole place. But there were not. We see that take place over in chapter 19. If you look over there at verse 24. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And notice verse 25 especially. And he overthrew those cities. Not just the cities. And all the plain. And all the inhabitants of the cities. And notice this. And that which grew upon the ground. If you stop and read that slow and try to visualize what God had done, not just in a city, but in a whole region, was devastating. Devastating. Now let's consider Abraham. It tells us in verse chapter 18, verse 33, And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Well, chapter 19 talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what about Abraham? Verse 27, chapter 19, verse 27. So here's Abraham who got a yes answer from God to his prayer. And in verse 27, Genesis 19, 27. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. That place where he got this yes answer from God. Where he could look out over the plain and he could see where those cities were. Some 15 miles from where he lived. And he looked out there, it says in verse 28. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And lo. The smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Can you imagine what Abraham's thinking? God, you said yes. God, why did you tell me? Why did you tell me what you were going to do if my prayers were not going to make a difference? He sees the destruction of Sodom. And all he can come away with is there must not be ten righteous people there. Did his prayer do any good? Yes. 
Look at verse 29. And it came to pass. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. <laughs> Isn't that good? All Abraham saw that morning as he looked out over the plain was smoke. And sometimes that's about all we can see after we've prayed. And in our discouragement, we question the value and the validity of prayer. And here's the lesson we must learn. It's true. We must have faith that God will hear and answer our prayer. But we have to learn. We must have faith in the answers that God gives. We must have faith in the answers that God gives. Because they are always right. And they are always just. And if you require God to show you the results of your prayers and them answered, you are going to be disappointed at some point. There's another point of instruction I see. God's answers do more than just answer a prayer. They're also being used to build the prayer, the one doing the praying. No doubt, as Abraham gazed on the smoldering and charred remains of the valley, he was evaluating his prayer again. God, why don't you reveal this to me and stir me to prayer when my prayers did no good. This answer, and the way God answered, exposed the fact that Abraham had made some false assumptions about the situation. In his prayer, we see clearly the assumption that he made about how many righteous people there were in the city of Sodom. He did not really know. He was assuming there would be enough. That assumption was wrong. And many times we make wrong assumptions about what is right in God's sight, what is fair in God's sight, and what God needs to do about a situation. I have a real life story. But I don't know that I can get through it. <laughs> I'll try. Years ago, right after Tracy and I were first out of Bible college, we went and worked for a man, good man, still know him, still friends with him today. You probably wouldn't know him. He had a daughter at the time that was in uh, high school. Uh, they had a Christian school there, and 
she was there and we got to know them and their family and we moved on they moved on our paths didn't cross for some time uh, recently uh, I don't know the last 10 or 12 years or we did reconnect with them some and I uh, got to know them but one day we received word that uh, his daughter who had grown up married had kids very active in church very involved in their ministry that she had gotten some kind of infection they asked for prayers in a few days time we found out that that infection was a very serious infection I don't know the exact medical term that it that it that it is but it is uh, some kind of uh, flesh-eating bacteria that gained entrance through an opened wound by some contaminated water in some way. That's generally how it gets contracted. They don't know for sure how it was with her. And this bacteria is a very rapid and serious thing as it begins to eat muscle and flesh. They asked for prayer. And we prayed. Tracy especially prayed. And she'd even wake up in the middle of the night with this young lady on her heart. She would pray. God had stirred her heart to pray for her and her family. And she did. She, by far, prayed diligently day and night all through the day, many times, for this young lady. They continued to get worse. They were performing daily surgeries, cleaning up. They put a zipper in, and they would open it up and go in and clean out the flesh remains that had been eaten and try to kill off this bacteria. It progressively got worse. The worse it got, the more Tracy be prayed and prayed and was convinced because God had stirred her heart so to pray for her that he was going to raise her up. The parents were very confident that God was going to do it and work a miracle. This young lady had four kids at home between the ages of 5 and 11, homeschooled them. And she would pray, Lord, please help them. This lady is doing your work. These children need their mother. Please, Lord, this family. Help them. The worse it got, the more she prayed. And the more convinced she was, this girl was going to be well and recover. And about the whole process took only about 10 days. And when we got the news from her father that she had passed away, It was devastating to Tracy. She wept all day. And I'm sharing this with her permission in hopes that it will help you. She wept all day. She couldn't pray. Finally, she could. She said, God, 
Why did you wake me up in the middle of the night? To pray for her and her family. When you weren't going to raise her up. God, those children need their mother. And she said when she said that to the Lord, he instantly (laughs) spoke to her heart. And said, Tracy, don't you think I know what those children need? And that was it. What good did her prayers do? All we could see was smoke. We have to have faith, not only to pray, but in the answers God gives. And may we learn that God does not mean these difficult experiences to hurt us or to punish us but simply to grow our faith and trust in Him. I thought there's three groups of people that could help. I don't know if I can remember them all. There are some who have dealt with a difficult experience similar to this, and it has caused you to back away from God. That's not what God intended, and it's not what he wants. You probably made some wrong assumptions. Hmm? Because God's always, God always does what's right, and he always does what's fair and just. And though we may not see the answers, he will answer our prayers according to his character and justice. There are some of you who are dealing with difficult experiences right now. And you just got a road map on how to deal and navigate through it with God in prayer. There are some in here who have no clue and cannot relate to what I'm talking about. But if you are on this journey of faith very long, God's going to use an experience in your life similar to what I described tonight for your good and His glory. Log this away in your heart and mind. Because it will be invaluable to you when you face it. I promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth.